As is my uh, custom of saying, what a joy and privilege to be here with all of you this morning. I'm a redneck. I'm a lawyer. I'm an American-born Chinese, ABC. I'm a Yankees fan. None of these statements are true of me. So, we got nothing against rednecks. I love them. Did not go to law school or pass the bar. I'm American-born Korean, very different from Chinese. And I'm a Mets fan. So, not as strong as a Mets fan as I once was. I mean, just 86 pretty much peaked it for me. But even still, as a Mets fan, I can say, we have Shake Shack. What do you have? So, none of these statements are true of me, but what do they all have in common? They're all statements of identity, um, things that are true of me. I was an Air Force officer, as you heard me say up here. I am an Air Force Academy graduate, which means that I'm just far superior to all those ROTC guys. <laughs> I'm picking on like someone over there. Um, I am a second-generation Korean-American, so sociologically, this has all sorts of identi identity-challenging things. Am I more a product of where I am a citizen of and where I'm born, or, and someone else is laughing up here, because Koreans, when we go to church in America, when we're in youth group, our retreats have these topics, identity crisis, you know, just, I don't know, I mean... For me, the big thing was already taken care of because I was born in Queens, which means that I love good pizza. So, but these things add up to or are just um, things that speak of identity. Let me toss out some other ones. Um, I'm married. I'm single. I'm a single mom. I'm gay. All of these things, when someone says that, they're articulating something profound about themselves. They're saying that this is what their identity makeup is. And these statements of identity profoundly affect how we live and our behavior. But this morning, I want to tell you that there is an identity far more profound than the ones that I've just mentioned. Our text today, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, is going to lay out what Scripture says our identity is and how to live it out to the very end. So my thesis this morning is, remembering who we are drives what we do until we see Him and are like him. I'm going to say that again. Remembering who we are drives what we do until we see him and are like him. So let's just jump right into the text here. Chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us 
is that it did not know him. Now, it doesn't quite come across very well to us when you're just reading it off the page like this. And the NIV, which I've just read from, is probably one of the weakest English translations as far as this goes. All right, so I'm going to try. I, I tried making a PowerPoint that would just profoundly affect you and say what this is, what John is trying to get at here. All right, so imagine that your Bible is like nine or eight point font. All right, now imagine this. Oops, no, not that. This. All right, it's. Let's. Behold! That's what John's getting at here. Or, look! Look at this! Or, check this out! See, John does this strange thing in literature, all right? When you're writing a letter, and he just pauses. All of a sudden, he just stops. And he just has to riff. He has to, like, say, this is amazing. All right, it's like you're listening like I did to heavy metal, you know, when you're 13, and, you know, just with the few words that there are, and then there's this, like, three-minute just electric guitar just riff going, you know, just because you're just exploding. Maybe that doesn't affect most of you here, but, <laughs> but hopefully the big, big 175-point font, behold, gets it across. John is completely blown away. He has to stop and exclaim, Look, and then this expression, the, you know, just, or the song that we sang, which starts off, behold, and then what manner of love. That's not really common language today either. It's like saying, great Caesar's ghost, or jumping Jehoshaphat, and, you know, just that kind of thing. Just read way too much Superman growing up. Perry White, that's what he always said to Clark Kent, great Caesar's ghost, and so let's try to modernize this here. It's more like a what in the world kind of love is this? What has just happened? What is going on here? See, John is just completely stunned at this that he's just focusing on and calling our attention to. So what is this that he's calling our attention to? That we should be called children of God. Now, you can call people lots of things, and they might not be those things. Maybe you're calling people things just to be nice. Oh, you look really good when, you know, maybe you don't. Or, oh, man, that, you know, just, uh, I don't know, I just, I don't want to say too many things because if I ever say these things to you, you might get suspicious of what, I'm, that's not where I'm going, all right? But you know as well as I do that you can call someone lots of things. Someone said that uh, flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their backs. Whereas gossip is saying something behind someone's back, what you'd never say to their face, all right? So you can call someone something, even if that's not what they really are. But then, what's this exact next thing that he says? And that is what we are. So the thing that is just giving him epiphanies and just bringing him to ecstasy, that we're called children of God, because that, in fact, is what we actually are. Not going to be, are. Now, let me tell you why this is so helpful to us. 
What do you do when you're ashamed? What do you do when you feel worthless? When you fear the future? Do you sink into depression? All right. Are you overwhelmed? And, just, and you sing along with one of the psalmists, darkness is my closest friend. No. John is saying no. You are not simply what you feel. You are not simply what you are experiencing. And in fact, those things, though they are significant, are actually much smaller things in the scope of reality than this truth, than this reality. You are a child of God. See, when John is laying this out, this is supposed to blow your minds away just as it has blown his away. All right, because this is not just metaphorical language that Peter is using here. You know, what does, what does this book say its point is? All right, 1 John 5.13 says, But these are written that you may know that you have eternal life. That there's security here found in this knowledge. Security because this knowledge speaks of the love of God. Because how is it that you are a child of God? You know, the, when I learned this song, I think I learned it, children of God and, or sons and daughters of God. And actually, that, that would be, um, so the translation in the NIV, children of God, is actually more accurate there is a way of saying a son, there is a way of saying daughter, and those are used elsewhere in the New Testament, but here it's children, and we are all covered. And how is it that we are called the children of God? Except by adoption. Now, I don't know if I've said this um, before, but I've spoken individually. One of the reasons that I came to, that my wife and I came to this church and wanted to be part of this church you know, beyond just wanting to be mentored by Pastor John. It was because I saw adoption happen here in this church, that there are children who have been adopted into families. And, you know, it's something that my wife and I, even before we met each other, wanted to do. We wanted to adopt, you know, children. And then when we met each other, and we found out that that was a common interest before we were even dating or anything. It's like, oh, that's cool. You want to adopt too. That's nice. So, but now how much more that we are married? And common thing between us, the reason that we want to adopt, yes, part of it is we want to just take someone who is trapped in foster care and just bring them into a loving family, into a home, to give them a name and say that you are children in this family. But part of it, a big part of it, is also because we want to understand God's love in adopting us as his children. All right, because how is it that we're adopted? The true son of God came. And he took a place that he didn't deserve, but we did. And... He died for us on the cross that we might be brought in. You see, he gave up on the cross what he had always had for eternity. Fellowship with his Father, love, acceptance, constant communication. 
And so the hell that he experienced on the cross for us was isolation from the Father. Not love, but judgment of the Father. And he endured all of those things for us that we might have the place that only he deserved as children of God. And so the Bible speaks very clear about adoption. In, first, in uh, John, elsewhere, so right at the beginning, so John who wrote this letter is also John who wrote the gospel. And he says, Yet to all who received him, Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. By God's work in his Son, by the Father's work in the Son, we are his children. And so this theme runs throughout Scripture. And this is our identity. This is who we are. In fact, this is the greatest aspect of who we are, is what, Peter, or is what John is trying to get across here. J.I. Packer, a uh, just wonderful British, old British theologian and writer of the book Knowing God, he puts it this way, and uh, it's also in your bulletins. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name of our, for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Packer is saying that you don't get what being a Christian is about if you don't know God as your father. And some of you, you know, I think about Carl Giannino. I said this to you last Sunday as your sons were getting baptized and said, how proud you must be that they are following you. I remember your words. You said, I don't want them to follow me. But then as the pastor, just I've got to correct that and say that, no, they followed you as you followed Christ. And that's something that I would wish of all of us who are parents. And so some of you would say that you can compare your earthly father and say, my earthly father was great, my heavenly Father is even greater. But I know that some of you haven't had very good earthly fathers. And maybe you didn't even know your father at all. So it, may, it might be a little bit harder for you, and yet still it is possible for you, not by comparison, but by contrast, to say, I didn't have much of an earthly father, but that makes me even more grateful for my heavenly Father. And so remember who you are. Your identity is that you are a child of God with God as your father. And John Morgan gave me this great way to transition into the, my next point. All right, he said that 
every morning, the last thing that his father said to all his kids when they were going out the door, he would say, remember who you are. Debbie Morgan says that he never did, but John's dad always told him, remember who you are. You know, if you were Jewish, you might have grown up with the Hebrew letter S right on top of your door. And as you're walking out the door, you would just slap that S and go out. That S is actually the word, the first letter for the Hebrew word to listen, Shema, which was part of this great Shema O Israel. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which is the old Hebrew way of saying God is ours. He is our God. And so you did that on the door. And John's dad said, remember who you, are, who you are as you're walking out the door because who you are, remembering who you are drives what you do. And so what is it that Scripture calls us to do? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other ways, Leviticus 19.2, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And First Peter, Peter picks this up in the New Testament and says, that's not just an Old Testament understanding. In Christ, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So understanding, like John said last week, that you're in this family, so there ought to be a family resemblance. You know, I love where, you know, I'm with families where I know that the adult child was an adopted child, and someone walks up to them and says, man, you look so much like your parents. I love that, all right? Not just because the person's, you know, just has no clue, but because they see a resemblance, I believe, that speaks far deeper than the skin that they're wearing. They're seeing a likeness, all right, in character and passions and in desire. There should be a family resemblance. Heck, some of you know very well that even husbands and wives kind of tend to look like each other over time. Let me give you a great illustration for remembering who you are and how that drives what you do. This is the code of conduct for the members of the Armed Forces of the United States. And the gentlemen that were standing up here with me who were post, let's see, 1955, but this is the Reagan version, all right, had to memorize something like this. If you were in Korea, you didn't have to go through this during boot camp. But Dwight Eisenhower, President of the United States, former uh, Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, after the Korean War, he made the armed forces start implementing this. The reason was that the North Koreans and the Chinese were vicious, vicious people who were very good at torturing and interrogating their prisoners. And what would happen during that war is that these soldiers, these U.S. and Allied soldiers, would succumb to that interrogation, to that torture, and give up valuable information that would wind up killing their friends and their allies in harming the cause. And so Eisenhower, as president, understood the mind and heart of a soldier, and he said, we are going to teach this 
to all soldiers now. And it goes like this. I am, I am an American fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I am prepared to give my life in their defense. Article 2. I will never surrender of my own free will. If in command, I will never surrender the members of my command while they still have the means to resist. Article 3. I am, if I am captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape and aid others to escape. I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. And then these articles. If you ever heard in a movie, a military movie, you know, you know, just a prisoner, a soldier giving name, rank, serial number. This is where it comes from. All right, so when questioned, should I become a prisoner of war? I'm required to give name, rank, serial number, and date of birth. I will evade answering further questions to the utmost of my ability. And then we get to the last, Article 6. I am an American fighting for freedom, responsible for my actions, and dedicated to the principles which made my country free. I will trust in my God and in the United States of America. Now, this code of conduct, it starts... I'm an American. It ends, I'm an American. It starts and ends with an identity statement. See, Eisenhower knew that if you're just being tortured, if you're just taking pain, and there is no other sense than what feeling you are going through at that moment, then you will give in. No one is strong enough to hold up under such pain unless you're holding on to something greater than yourself. And so here, the call is remember who you are and what you love. And then you will endure. Similar to, and I saw this with my wife as she was giving birth to Ethan because he just took a long time coming out. A mother can endure even upon just exhaustion because there is something worth fighting for, this life that is about to come out. Your identity drives then what you do and what you're able to endure. And so I love this. I've still got it memorized. I'll probably never forget it. But um, I've got a sweeter illustration than even that. Um, a couple weeks ago, was supposed to go on vacation, on a cruise. See, my brother-in-law, I mentioned this before, I think, works for Royal Caribbean. So he gets us on for ridiculously low prices. All right. And so we were supposed to go on a cruise, and this is the last one he's going to get on. We can't, uh, it's uh, off-peak cruises, and Abby's starting school in the fall, and so we can't do off-peak ever again. Ugh. But, so we were looking forward to one last hurrah. But the problem was is that the cruise line overbooked, and we needed two rooms, not just one. We knew we had gotten one room, and man, it was a beauty. It was a balcony room overlooking the ocean. So it's not even like you're look overlooking like just the inside of the ship. You get to see the ocean in all its grandeur. All right? This room, we'd never be, we'll probably never be able to afford in our lifetime. Sorry, Kim. But, you know, just we were going to get this. But we needed the second room because my brother-in-law had to come and we invited my cousin to come because we knew we'd need a second room anyway. And the nice room 
you could only put four people in there, and we have a four-person family. And so we were there waiting at the dock, hoping for someone just to not show up, get sick, not be allowed on the ship, something. We were looking for another six rooms to open up because there were five other people, you know, just who needed rooms ahead of us. And so within the last half hour of this all going down, I proposed to my wife, you know, just we, why don't you take your brother, my cousin, and Abby and just enjoy that room? Why don't you just go and have a good vacation? I'll stay in Florida with your aunt and I'll just take care of the boy because the boy, Ethan, my son, is just not fun on vacation. And so, you know, just... <laughs> Just, you know, I'll just take one for the team. <laughs> so I'm sitting down even holding Ethan as this is going on because just... And uh, at that point, Abby, my four-year-old daughter, walks up to me. And he grabs me by the face like this. All right? She just grabs my cheeks like this. Right? And says, we must stick together. Now, she learned that from this cartoon series called The Land Before Time. These baby, baby dinosaurs, they were cut off from their parents by this, like, earthquake or something and trying to get to their parents. And the whole point of them, as they were so little, and there was a T-Rex after them, we must stick together. Now, Abby... Her identity at this point is made up of our family, all right? Whenever Kim and I are hugging and Abby sees it, she immediately runs over and worms her way into the middle of it because she wants to be in the middle of that hug. In fact, if Kim and I just break the hug early, we, we mess with her. If we break the hug early, she gets in there and she's disappointed. She's like, oh. Now, I want her identity to be in Christ. But I can start with this understanding, can't I? Because what is she showing? Her understanding of her identity, of being part of this family, was driving the decision that she was making and what she would do. You see, she knew what we were there at the dock for. She saw the ship. And for months before, we were showing her the pictures of the ship. And we were showing the room that we were going to get. And she knew the fun that she was going to have. And so she weighed the cost. And she just grabbed my face and said, her identity drives what she desires and what she does. We must stick together. How proud a father am I. Church, you know, I hope you never say to others, I go to North Shore Community Church. Church, we must stick together. And I hope you recognize this as your family, that you can say to someone, the less grammatically correct, more awkward, and yet still evidence of your heart, I am a member or I am a part of North Shore Community Church. Abby does something else. 
she delights in my delight. She's always asking me, are you happy? Are you happy? She wants me to be happy, and she wants me to be happy with her. She'll do all kinds of things, and she'll do them again if she knows that she's delighting me. She is delighting in my delight. And when you see that God is your father and that you are his child, this is what drives what you do. Remembering who you are drives what you do because you seek to delight the father who showed how much he loves you in giving up his only son. And so that means that this isn't legalism that John is talking about. Not purify yourself because, man, you're a Christian. Shouldn't you know better? This isn't duty. Duty is great. In fact, I had duty on our country, like just drilled into my head when I was in the military. And those are lovely things. But they are not the greatest of things. Love for the Father and delighting in His delight. Because you see what our eldest brother has done for us. That is the greatest thing. And so there's this question that you should ask yourself. What have I done or not done because I love Jesus? What have I done or not done because I am a child of God? And so thinking this through, uh, this through helps you work on that family resemblance and make it strong. And then we get to that last part. Remembering who you are drives what you do. Well, if that's all there was, then we'd be going and doing this forever. There are people whose identities drive them, and there's no end. If you're after money, if you're after possessions, well, I guess there is an end. He who dies with the most, most toys wins. That's not much of an end, all right? And work, if work is your identity, then where's the end of work? If raising your kids even, even just having a daughter like Abby, I can make her an idol. If raising her is my identity, then what do I do when I'm done with that? But John says there's more. He says that there's an end. And we go back to verse 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so, whenever, whenever you're on a trip, whenever you start something, you got to know where you're ending up, don't you? You never just wind up driving and thinking, all right, well, I hope I get there unless you know where there is. And John is saying, Jesus is there. The Father is there. You know, a lot of times we preach about Jesus and say, He is the one you are longing to see. And that's absolutely true. But you know what else? In John, the Gospel of John, you know what Jesus was constantly telling people? What you ought to be looking for, what you want, what I'm here to give you, what I'm here to bring for you. 
Well, he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus, in his humility, was pointing us to the object of his affection, his treasure. He was saying, here is my Father. You can only get to him through me. I want you to have my Father as your Father. That's the, point of, the whole point of the Lord's Prayer. Think about the radical statement that the first line of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father. All right, stop right there. Jesus could have very correctly have saying, My Father, and excluded all of us. His disciples would say, Well, sure, you can call him your Father, but how do we talk to him? And Jesus says, I am the way that you can call him Father. And so, we say, our Father, who art in heaven. Christ, our home, our Father, our desire. You know, there's one, and only one good thing has, that's come out of this whole Harold Camping nonsense. It's that it caused us to think about just what's real and what's going to happen. All right, Harold Camping had it wrong, as John said, Pastor John said, that Jesus is coming Saturday. He didn't. But he did have it right, and we have it right with him when we believe that Jesus is coming. And he's the hope set before us. We're going to get to see him because on that day, finally, we're going to be like him. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Because you don't need faith when the object of your faith is right before you. He's reality. You don't need hope because hope implies waiting. And on that day, he will have come. But love persists. And so... You know, this isn't just living out good Christian lives with a good start, but that start is our end. The code of conduct, remember? I'm an American, I'm an American. I'm a child of God, and on that last and glorious day, I will be with my Father. And which gets us to this line of this song that we're going to sing at the end of service. On Jordan Stormy Banks, the last verse goes, when shall I see that happy place and be forever blessed? But, you see, it's not a just about. It's not just about no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. It's not just about just sun shining and all those wonderful things. But it's about this last sentence. When shall I see my Father's face and in his bosom rest? And so, we come to the end. And I want you to repeat after me. I want you to repeat these words. I'll do a sentence at a time, and then you do a sentence, all right? Because I want you to know this. I, again, this is a quote from J.I. Packer. This is not original. I am not this good. But he asks this question. Do I, as a Christian, understand myself? Do I know my own real identity my own real destiny. And so repeat after me, please. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. God is my Father. 
Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. See, Packer says, say this to yourself every day, every morning. Say to your kids, I'm going to start doing that, remember who you are. Say it last thing at night. Say it waiting on the train, on the bus. Say it until you know it. And then say it again because you're going to forget it. Say it again because this is the secret to the Christian life. You can't know what being a Christian is unless you know that you're a child of God. Let us pray. Father, this is a secret that the whole world ought to know, and you've made it plain and clear to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that our eldest brother took our place on the cross, that our sins are nailed to that cross. And we are engraved in his hands, his feet, and his side. And that when you look at us, you look at us with the love that you have for Jesus. Because Jesus covered us over with his blood. So Lord, make this truth fully ours. So that we can endure the difficulties, the hardship, the suffering, and the persecution in life. Because we know who we are, and we know where we're going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.